Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Joe Bonamassa, and you're watching Live from Nerdville, presented by Graham Brulow. Today, my special guest is one of the great up-and-coming singers, songwriters, and guitarists. Please enjoy my conversation with Emily Wolf. Hi, Emily. Hey, Joe. It's such a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. I was just, I was just saying one of these days, I, I'd like to get everybody involved, managers, people, on, on one of these interviews, leave all the mics open, and then everybody go about their daily lives. You know what I mean? <laughs> Plates and other conversations. Our highest rated show. <laughs> Dogs barking. Yeah. <laughs> you got a whole pro setup and everything. You know, it's like you got a quality mic, you got headphones. I've been doing these things literally retail value. This is the only pro audio that I own. That's this great. This was an $80 purchase, not by my my own doing. This was sent to me by the office, and it's an Audio Technica, and I think it's worth about $60. Hey, if it does a job, you know, it's all I, that matters. Exactly. We, we don't have to achieve Abbey Road level uh, <laughs> yeah. fidelity. You don't need I, room mics or anything. <laughs> how's everything? You in Austin, correct? Yeah, Austin. It's great. It's great. Uh yeah, I just got back uh, from Vegas because my bass player got married in a Elvis chapel. And so, uh, yeah. Nice. nice. Fun. Yeah. How are you, you? I'm doing good, you know. Um, I, I, I struggle with long periods of inactivity. Um, and and this, this year and a half has been a test from just, just you know, because look, look around. Okay, yeah. I, I sit up here and I'm by myself, surrounded by all this shit, and and I'm, <laughs> and I'm I, I, you know, it, it does things to the mind, you know. Yeah, it does. I agree. Yeah, but it's 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 uh, it's it's because we just, we just we just completed nine shows. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, and and I and I see you're going on tour. I was checking out your tour schedule, the Wrecker Theater in Towson, Maryland. Come on and bring oh, back yeah. memories. I love that place. Yeah, that's great. I Yeah, I don't think I've been there before, so I'm I'm just ready to get back on the road, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, Sticky Fingers Chicken Shack in, yeah. in Little Rock. Come on. <laughs> the legendary Stickies, yeah. That was my last show before COVID hit, and uh, there'll be the first one back. So that's pretty funny. Uh, here's here's a question because because we just get into these things. When did you realize that the end was coming? Because it kind of hit us like a ton of bricks. We were following it on the news. We played Milwaukee at the mm -hmm. Riverside Theater like nothing was going on. We show up to Green Bay, have a day off, and then my tour manager texts me at ten thirty in the morning, day of show, mm. going, "Hey, what time do you want to leave for Minneapolis?" And I go. I don't know, 10, 15, 10, 20. It's, we get off stage at 10, 10, you know, I yeah. change back into nerd boy and, and, <laughs> and let's, you know, it's another gig. He goes, no, the governor canceled us. And I go, we're done. Oh, when, when did you, when did you, when did you guys know that this, the end was coming? Uh, so brutal. Well, it's funny you mentioned stickies because I was talking like, you know, we, it, the last show of the last tour before COVID was great. It was awesome. We'd started hearing about, you know, Corona, like, here and then. And, and we are like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever. And then we get to Stickies and the vibe is kind of off. 
And there's a sound guy there named Maestro who's usually like so pumped up, so excited. And he was just kind of down. And we were like, man, something feels weird. And then we got home and I was actually at work, which I've since left that job, but I used to work at a music shop and I used to set up guitars and uh, fix pedals and all this stuff. It was so much fun, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, the busiest, it was a rental shop and the busiest time was South by Southwest. And so I was upstairs organizing amps at the shop. And then I heard my manager yell out, South by just got canceled. And I was like, the tour is off. And like, there's no way that's it. So I was like, what am I going to do? Like, it was, it was, it was a huge bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That's been the thing for me is, is my whole life and career is based on not letting outside factors affect my trajectory in life. Right. And this has been a huge, like, you know, reality check where there's some things you can't avoid. There's some things that you can't, you know, there's mitigating factors that, that no matter how hard you try and how, you know, how many times you put your thinking cap, you're not, you're not getting out from under this thing. And this was a yep. huge one. I mean, for the entire industry, yeah. I mean, the entire industry shut down. I mean, you yeah. never thought that would even occur. I alone, know. Let alone be a reality now for, oh, I don't know, a year and a half looking at two years. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's wild. It's crazy. I mean, it, it all like trickles down too. you know, it's like, all right, these shows got canceled. Um, my booking agent's not going to get paid. The crew's not going to get paid. Sound person's not going to get paid. It's all these people, you know, involved in one show and it's, you know, it's the, yeah, it's the entire industry. It was, it's brutal, but it, you know, it's, I'm glad you're back out in the road. Is it okay? Is it going okay? It was great. You know, we, we opened up California basically. And, you know, so our first four shows were San Jose, um, Paso Robles or Robles. I never could get a straight answer from the local people. Is it Robles, Robles? And it was like <laughs> people were fighting. Uh, Los Angeles and San Diego. And it was eerily normal. And I, I just did a gig last night at a club in L.A. for our friend uh, Zach, who does these blues shows. And we do the anniversary show every year. And it was eerily normal. And wow. so the the people that do want to come to gigs are are happy to come to gigs and act normal. Right. Um, and there's still some people like, man, I'm still a little paranoid. Totally fine. Um, you know, you know, so when you go on tour in, in uh, I believe, at the end of September, yeah. Like, what's your, you know, how are you, are you, are you going to keep the band and crew kind of in a bubble or is it just we're going to go tour and see what happens? Well, I mean, we're all vaccinated, but with all this, you know, the Delta stuff, I, I think I may have to change up a little bit. For instance, like after every show, you know, I'm used to playing what, you know, probably 150 cap, 200 cap rooms at this point. And I always go to the merch booth and I, you know, shake everybody's hand, take pics. Like it's, you know, very like close. Yes. And I think I might have to maybe not do that, which is sad because it's one of my favorite parts is you get to, you know, get face to face with somebody who really digs your music. And um, so I think, you know, we're, we're definitely going to be careful. And it's just the three of us. It's me, my bass player and drummer. And, you know, we don't even travel with the sound guy, but um, or a woman, but it's a. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I think we're just going to have to, you know, be super careful and we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, if anybody, if anybody's wearing a mask or, you know, by all means do your thing, if you want to stay back, like, you know, yeah. um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. We haven't played, um, outside of Texas in, you know, what, 18 months over mm -hmm. a year. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what all these different cities are are like. Yeah, in in because uh, we we did a, a little mini tour in the spring and we played Austin. We played uh, we played. This was the only the only time we did socially distanced or uh, reduced capacity. So we played the Moody Theater. It was right. like quarter capacity, and um, and then we you know, we played like it ranged from fifty percent to you know, 25, 25 to 50%. Yeah. And, um, it was strange. It was strange yeah. to walk out there and going, woo, sold out. Yeah. A lot of empty seats. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I bet that a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of chairs were playing to, to, yeah. but, uh, you know, one of the things, um, that's, uh, interesting about your, your story is, is, you know, you're, you're such a gear person. Yeah. You no. Know, and and I didn't know that that you had a you had a job fixing guitars and pedals and you know because I read that you you would build pedal boards and I said well yeah you know you know I, I, used to, <laughs> I used to do that I got a piece of plywood I would find right you know, uh, you know and then I just would you know velcro stuff but you're 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 really into the macro of the gear I'm like oh you're yeah up guitars. Um, how did you, how, did you start doing that just by necessity? Cause you've been playing a long time. You start when you were five. Was it just by necessity? I don't want to pay somebody 60 bucks to intonate a guitar. I can do it myself kind of thing. Right. It was, it was a little bit of that. And it was also when I started going out on the road, I mean, I, I don't bring a tech and I was thinking, well, you know, I can't rely on anybody else to do this. I need to learn how to do it. Um, and so there was, there's this, there's a shop. It's not the one that I worked at, but uh, it's called Straight Music. And for like two months, there was this one guy who was the Imagine Dragons tech, mm -hmm. and he he worked there just for like a little bit of money while he was off tour. And it was like, right. what, like a, a few years ago or so? Well, maybe it was like more than that, probably five or so. But I would go in there, and I think it all kind of started me getting really into it when he. Like I was looking at patch cables and he comes up to me and just, I didn't know him. And he's like, I can build you a better patch cable than that. And I was like, you can? <laughs> he's like, yeah, come on back. So he showed me how to solder th this cable. Right. And I loved it. I, I, I hadn't, like I wanted to learn how to solder. And he just kind of came up to me and was like, yeah, come watch. So I got to kind of watch him start, you know, solder cables and, and, you know, build pedal boards, kind of like LA sound design guys or whatever. And then, uh, and then he started doing guitars and I start, you know, I would come to the shop all the time and just watch him do these things. And that's kind of what started my, my interest in, you know, the repair side right? Um, and the setup side. Uh, but yeah, I love it. It's, I think it's, I think it's important to know every part of your instrument because, you know, that's, that way there's no barrier between you and and any kind of troubleshooting issue or like there's just like you know it so well that you can predict what it's going to do like if i go up up north during the cold i gotta you know loosen my strings i can't let it just 
<laughs> freak right. out. You know, it's like one of those things I just want to take care of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, in my crew, like, you know, cause it's like, we all go through, you know, like there's a time between sound check and the gig. It's boring. It's like the, the longest three hours or whatever. Yeah. And, and like, sometimes like I, I set up my guitars, I set the action because it's a very personal thing. For sure. Um, and then there's sometimes I'll buy something on the road or find something and I'll go into the box and I get this, if something, the input jack is, you know, disconnected or, you know, and I get the soldering kit out and I put it on the bench and then you start hearing across the many radio channels uh, in the crew going, he's got the soldering iron out. Somebody's <laughs> got to go over there and help him because you don't want me working on anything electronic because oh, I'm not, I'm not a measure twice cut once kind of person. I I'm, I'm like, just, Oh, just jam it in there. It'll be fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not. That's fast. rock and roll. That's rock and it, roll though. You know, it is rock and roll, you know, cause you know, my, my thing is like, it's like, well, what do you need out of this? I go, it's gotta be on. Does it work? <laughs> Does it work? Is it on? Good. We're go. Let's, you know, That's it. <laughs> Yeah, because I'll I'll never get into I I can never understand you can tweak your way out of a good tone, and you can actually create more problems by going you know your amp is making a little hum let me let me look at it no, yeah. you know if it's on fire then you can look at it if right. it's if it's if it's functioning every day <laughs> it's, it's on fire yeah I've burned them up you know that's funny what um when you started playing guitar who is your host musically. What, um, what, cause you started around the same age I did at five. Yeah. And what was the host? I mean, like, because for me, it was my father and, and my, my, my grandfather who played trumpet and he wanted me to play trumpet. And my father being a child of the sixties wanted me to play guitar. So yeah. there was music being played and there was this, this de facto battle between, you know, my grandfather cause they lived next door. It was a very Italian thing in upstate. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's the, awesome the, the or is it? Don't fall far from the from the from the nest and uh <laughs> so that was my house i mean like how did you get going you know musically like well like check this out here's a guitar here's a drums i know you're a drummer yeah yeah i think i mean my parents you know my dad's not really i mean he loves music but he's not a musician my mom um She's great. She's a singer. She used to sing in church before I was born. And um, they took my sister and I to church growing up. And I think watching the band there kind of unlocked something in me. Like, I, I've never really been a religious person, even when I was going to church. Right. Um, but I was always excited to go to church to watch the band. Um, so what I would do is just, you know, not pay attention to any of the stuff that was, you know, being spewed at me in terms of like, here's some Bible stuff. But I was like, all right, let's get that guitar player up there. Come on. I'm like Jones and for, I'm ready. Right. And I would just like watch and play and then go home and try and re like try and recreate the chords that he was playing. And I kind of right. learned that way just by watching. Um, And that, that was really how I learned. But when I was five, I had a guitar lesson, you know, one guitar lesson. Cause I, I saw this guitar, um, in like a a really like a thrift store or something like that and it was hanging and it was a harmony like acoustic and i still have it it's in pieces though but i glued it back together and it's like nice. you know um 
but uh, I saw it and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, and I wanted to learn how to play it. And that's when I was five and I asked my mom for lessons and she hooked me up with this guy that, that, uh, was, you know, he, he was, he was kind of hard. Like he, he told me I wasn't good. So he taught me drums and then that kind of like planted this kind of rebellious seed in me where I've always kind of been like, well, I'm going to prove that guy wrong. (laughs) Let's learn. Let's, let's do this. So, I mean, the luck, you know, the good thing was I got to learn drums and that's, that's kind of been a factor that shapes the way I play too. Um, And yeah, that's pretty much how it started. I just kind of, had that one lesson and and then drums, you know, one drum lesson and then I was done because I didn't want to have right. to deal with that teacher anymore. Um, but yeah, we moved from from North Carolina where I was born after that and then uh, moved to Texas. And then that's when I started to pick it up and really get into it and, you know, watch the guitar player at church. And uh, yeah, it just kind of spiraled into what it is now. You're looking at somebody who's built his entire career on spite. Okay. <laughs> so I, I can, I can relate. I can relate to this. Yeah. You're no, you're no good. I'll show you. Yeah. Well, watch this. Yeah. You'll never draw a crowd. I'll show you. My whole career is built on spite. That's so awesome no, it, though. <laughs> but it is a, you know, it is a factor, you know, and you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm older than you and, and, I can't, I was raised by my parents who were raised by, um, you know, people in, they came out of the World War II generation, Korean War, and, and the concept of tough love, you know, not everything you do is great. Right. You know? And, you know, my father was pretty hard on me as a, as a player because, you know, at the time I didn't agree with it. Um, and, you know. Um, I know dad watches all these and, and I was better than him by the time I was seven, <laughs> yes. but he, he always, he always kind of kept a little bit of, you know, every time I would, would, you know, kind of go past the barrier, be like, okay, well now you got to work on this and then work on that. And at the time I, I, I was just like, just leave me alone. I want to do what I want to do. But I, I'm very grateful to him and, and a few of those people who pushed me right. um, along the way because I don't think I would have ever gotten there on my own. And um, so that, that does help, you know, especially, you know, when you're learning something very tactile and, and, and very subjective, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's interesting you say that because, you know, I, I, I think I, I was, I was a pretty good guitar player before I met this producer named Rob Cavallo. Um, Have you ever worked with him? I've never worked with Rob, but he's his his his, his resume is is uh, quite uh, impressive, as they say. It's big, yeah. But uh, I, it's funny because he was interested in you know signing me a little bit ago. Um, by a little bit, I mean like three years ago. It's crazy how time just is like I don't even know what like right. what what year is it? Twenty twenty one. That's it. it t- today. Um, uh, <laughs> Today is, uh, as we tape this, because it will air later, today is August 24th, 2021. So back <laughs> in the olden days of 2018, when you were running with Rob Cavallo, <laughs> right. you know, back, back in the day, back know, in the day, everything was in black and white and, and <laughs> you know, we use rotary phones. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, so I, 
he was like, man, I really love this project. Like, let's let's get together and, and go to a rehearsal space and let's just work out some songs and see what happens. And so I took my then drummer um, and my current bass player. He's been with me for like seven years. Um, we went out to L.A. and, you know, I played guitar and I was like, oh, I'm really doing it. I'm doing great. Yeah. And then Rob comes up to me. He's like, you know, this would really rip if you really got your scales up. Mm -hmm. And and uh, he kind of went down this hole. It was like, you have great potential, but you need, you're not there yet. And yeah. I was devastated, but I went back home and I was like, he's right. So I just, I, I mean, it was every day for like a year. I was just playing guitar and trying to get my chops up. And, you know, so yeah, the, the the tough love thing is it, i think you're right i mean i i would have been complacent if he hadn't told me that and i wouldn't be you know where i am so yeah you know and um i uh i i, I was a guest on alice cooper's record um the one he just put out it was a, his oh, detroit man. record that's awesome and, um the day uh he invited me to do his christmas charity this was in 2019 and um, he was like, um, Bob Ezrin's in town. This is in Phoenix. And um, I was like, okay, I'll come play on the on the session. I'm so honored, right? And Bob um, and I have a long history because he was the co-writer of one of my biggest songs, Slow Gin. Yeah. And my producer, Kevin, Shirley, and he are friends. And we're all friends and stuff like that. But I've never worked with Bob. But I heard the stories. So I waltz in, you know. One take Bonamassa, you know, think yeah, yeah. oh, I got this. I learned the tune. I don't think I've ever been raked over the coals more than by really? Bob Ezra. Oh, and man. yeah, I, I do the one pass. He's like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know. Guitar. <laughs> and 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 he he comes from this school of of it doesn't matter if it's Jimi Hendrix or, or somebody who just began that in order to get the best performance out of someone you got to make you got to break through that barrier of what the self-governance you know is you know right. what i mean it's like oh these are my stock riffs and we'll just get in and get out and blah 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 and we, i got dinner reservations at 6 30. <laughs> yeah. you know he wasn't having any of that and i you know and i thanked him at the end and i said you know very rarely does anybody do that to me yeah. Because I just kind of come in and I, you know, listen, I'm working for free. I'm, you know, I got, right. I, you know, my, my price is two Diet Cokes. Okay. <laughs> I love 20. Diet Coke. Me too. It's, it's, if they take it off the market, I'm out. I'm done for I'm done. But it's, it's super important to have, have the, 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 the protagonist in, in, in the sense that you, somebody like Rob goes to you, he's like, this will, this will be better if, if you go, take it home and, and woodshed yeah. this thing a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I thanked him at the end. Cause I was like, you know, Bob, thank you for, for not letting me just play the stock shit and right. move on. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's so interesting. I just couldn't imagine somebody saying that to you, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's I, a style. Well, it depends, it depends on the session. I mean, I'm there with Alice Cooper, you know, and, <laughs> and, but you know, I mean like when, when you were when you were coming up, um, I, I read that you 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 went to a, a, a Catholic college in I Austin, mm -hmm. and was that an extension of your religious upbringing? Um, and a question A and question B: 
was playing music because I know you started playing live while you were in college. Like, was that encouraged, encouraged or discouraged within the school system? Yeah, it's interesting that it's a Catholic college um, because it's not. It like doesn't at all seem like one, and right. you because it's more of a liberal arts school, and it's like I don't, I don't. It's just not a Catholic school, you know. It, yeah. it is, but it when you go, it's like this is just you know total like critical thinking college like same you know thing and so what's what's interesting though is they didn't have a music program but I loved the campus because it was small um and it just felt right uh which you know looking back it was right because I met my roommate and you know we started a band and played in the coffee shop at college and then you know had this had this gig at spider house cafe which was uh you know a little club kind of down the street from from where we were living and it was fun it was awesome because i before then i hadn't been able to play with any other musicians and it's such a rush i remember the first time i played with the band i i looked around like is this real this is like the coolest you know yeah um because I was so used to just playing by myself in my room and, you know, multi-tracking on tape decks and, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it was fun. I, and it, it didn't. So it, it was really encouraging the college because everybody was um, just super open and really nice and accepting. And everybody was always happy there. Um, so it was a great experience going there. Um, and I think being in Austin was a big factor in this being a, a career for me because there's ven there were venues everywhere there's shows every night you know bands everywhere um and uh the like the college band at the time where I was I was going to St. Edwards was called the Eastern Sea and this guy was like do you want to open for us I was like yes so <laughs> that was that was kind of one of the the points when I realized how happy that made me and I figured, you know, I need to just kind of go for this. Like, of course I'll have jobs to, to keep things going financially, yeah. but um, I think this is what I want to do. So. Yeah. That's, yeah. Cause when I, when I read you went to a Catholic college, I was, I was raised Roman Catholic and oh, wow. every, every Wednesday night when in between it was, it was when I was in elementary school to, my early teenage years, um, Wednesday nights was religious classes at the Catholic school. I went to the wow. public school, but but the Catholic school had, and these were old school nuns. These these were nuns where if you weren't sitting there in a very pious position, you know, <laughs> studying the word of the Lord, yeah. you know, it'd be like, oh, here's some here's some violence, <laughs> you know. <and laughs> That's you so to, scary. You know, you know, back in my day, you know, it was, you know, it was dropped off with a horse and buggy and, you know, how that <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting to hear your story about, you know, like either, you know, it's a small campus, you know, and, and you're able to, to not only get your education, but, but kind of, you know, fulfill or begin your journey as a musician. It's, it's, uh, and, and being in Austin, you know, there's really not a lot of live music going on. So it's double tough, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean it was it's pretty funny when you when I look back at I mean we were 
burning CDs on our MacBooks, writing on them and like selling them for five bucks, you know? And that was like the music business as I knew it. Mm -hmm. And then like the further you go, you just, it just gets bigger and bigger and you realize how much goes into this career and it just keeps going. And I'm, I'm excited for what's coming, but I know it's, it's like when, when I look back at that, you know, experience, just (laughs) burning CDs and selling them for five bucks. I just, I just think, wow, I've come a really long way. Um, And I, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens, but you know, I know the music business is, is quite a, a gamble, but you know, I'm ready to roll the dice. <laughs> anybody and anybody in the in the restaurant business, will you that would, would say you started off literally farm to table? Oh yeah, there you here's, go. Here's my, here's, <laughs> I I remember I used to have a uh, it was it was it was really just because I would open up for people, everyone from Peter Frampton to BB King. It didn't matter. We would take gigs, hundred bucks, and then I would sell merch, and oh. I would purposely end five minutes early. The crew loved me because the their the headliner would go on on time and i said you know i can get my point across in 35 minutes rather than you know playing my whatever free bird length jam at the end <laughs> and it gives me five more minutes to sell cds in the lobby yeah. and you make a hundred dollars for the gig and then you'd sell 200 cds in the lobby you're like hmm yeah i like the way this is working you know totally and you know being in the music business now I don't know if I would have been able to survive because the farm system and that coal feeder system that we go and and be able to play these small gigs and 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 you know having and then opening up for larger acts it would be very difficult to recreate my journey now based on what's going on. I mean, how do you you know as a, as a businesswoman because you are in the music business? How do you how do you plan ahead a and b um, you know, strategize, you know, about things like, okay, we need to keep cash flow and we need to, but you also want to take opportunities that may not generate cash flow. And it's a, it's a fine balance because you're a solo artist and you got to pay all the bills. You got to pay the band. You got to, you're, you're responsible. Right. Yeah. It's, it's taken a lot of trial and error. Um, And, you know, obviously I'm not, I don't know everything by any means. Um, but in my journey, I think it's mostly about keeping for me, for, for me, it's keeping the crew as small as possible for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's just me and my bass player and drummer on the road, you know, and it's so much fun. It's like, we just, we just laugh from venue to venue and that's like, that's, right. you know, it's so much fun. But in terms of keeping the things going financially, it is tough, but I had to kind of, you know, once again, lay an ego aside and say, I need to get a job at a music shop. So I went out and did it and I made it through COVID, you know, because without that, I wouldn't have any kind of income stream. So it's, I think it's about, for me, it's been about letting go of any kind of conception that you're not successful if you have a day job, you know? Um, it's taken me a long time to realize that. And I've gotten to the point where I don't have to have one anymore because I have saved and I've made like investments, for instance, like 
you know, little things like a, a tour van, for instance. If you look at the prices on on rental vans now, it's like six grand to rent a van to, for, to go out for a month. So why don't I just buy one? I'll put half that and pay it up. You know, it's like one of those right. things. So it's, 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 you know, it's investments in things and, and making sure the crew is small until I absolutely need to have a sound person or a guitar tech or a merch person to come with me. Um, and I do feel like that's coming. Um, you know, we'll see how, how things go. I, I hope that things keep, keep moving in a positive direction um, with the vaccine and everything. But yeah, it's just, it just comes down to having just being really smart about your decisions and what you're putting money into. Um, Yeah. 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 It's, you know, it's, it's great advice. It's great perspective for anyone, you know, watching this and, you know, I have a lot of friends, people we know, um, that, you know, like yourself, on paper, somebody looks at your your career and your life and, you know, she's she's a rock star, she's out touring and, and she's playing music, she's she's got her own Epiphone signature model and and they start throwing the words around like millionaire. Oh my and, god. No. <laughs> and nice. And the, the Yeah, the, the truth of the matter is is that the you to the outside world people look at artists and they go well you must just be rolling and the reality of it is until until you get to a certain point where it cross fades between you know like you're saying 150 200 cap now you add a zero okay then that's you know then then you can then it financially starts becoming more self-perpetuating for sure it's 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 interesting perspective for anybody watching this it's like going most of the people that you look at have really worked day to day, live month to month, and the whole COVID thing has really exacerbated how fragile the the economy of the music business is to the artists that are, okay, am I worried about Jay-Z and Beyonce paying their light bill? No. Okay. Yeah, They're good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then you start going down the tiers, people on the up, people working hard. It, it, it is, it is, um, uh, it's a it's it's dicey and and I can't thank you enough for participating in our streamathons. Oh um, man, my pleasure. You know, because we raised a half a million dollars and we gave it to artists out there. You know that that we're literally just kind of had the carpet pulled out from under yeah. them right before the summer it was. It, yeah, you know. yeah. No, that's amazing that y'all did that, and because so many of my friends, you know, my drummer friends in Austin, like what did they you know their gigs are gone their their jobs are gone uh drummer friends guitar session guitar players like you know for a minute there it was like you couldn't even go into a studio for a session gig and make you know 150 bucks or whatever so yeah that that was i was happy to participate in that and i think it was such a great cause um because a lot of times people people go out to a show and you know it's it's their fun friday night it's their exciting time to see music and they don't realize what goes into one show i think yes um in terms of finances in terms of your time you know and so i look at you know session players here even my band it's like they couldn't work so yeah it was rough and uh 
you know, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're finally getting back out there. I, I've been, it's funny because I have a tour van now because I bought one. Um, and I've just been like cleaning it obsessively, like just staring at it, like ready to go. <laughs> I just like want to get in that thing so bad and blast like 90s music onto the next venue. Like bad. Hey, I, I, I'm sensing a little OCD here. Yeah. I see <laughs> sensing a little OCD. Okay. Pro tip. Okay. What, what color is the van? It's white, but I want to get it wrapped to black. Okay. Yeah. Go out, go to an auto zone. I'm not endorsing them, but, but you know, an auto parts, get touch up paint. Cause the first scratch that you oh. see on there from some, somebody with a shopping cart or a door ding or something like that, that's the only thing you will see on the vehicle. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Touch, up, touch paint. up paint. And, and it never happened. That's brilliant. I'm going to do that. There is, there's an auto zone right next to my house and I'm going to go right after this and get me some white touch of paint. Exactly. Um, I, I have a question. It's, it's, it's a question that I can't ask a lot of people, but, uh, but I'm going to ask you. Yeah. In 2008, I was living, I was renting a place uh, outside of Los Angeles and um, I get a box that says Gibson on it, sealed. And we had some conversations with the custom shop and a box shows up at my front door, crack the box and out comes a gold top with my name on it. Yeah. When you got the box from Epiphone and out comes the Sheridan, the stealth. Mm -hmm. What's that? What's that feeling like for a guitarist that started at age five? Because that's a, that's a, that's a pretty cool club to be in, especially yeah. given the history of Gibson and Epiphone. And now you're part of it. What was that like when you first cracked the box? I mean, I cried. I, I mean, my, my Gibson rep, Cody Allen, she was such a champion for that to happen. Um, I truly don't think it would have happened without her um, because she wanted to have she wanted to represent an emerging artist and she wanted to make sure that, you know, the Sheridan is such a part of me. And she's like, we just, we have to make this happen. And so I feel like she put so much work into it that I don't even like, I didn't even see, but it was such a moment to open up that case and see it. Cause I had only seen a, a, a printout of it. And I just right. kept looking at that printout. Like, is this real? You know? Right. But then I opened the case and I just like cried and I laughed, you know, hysterically because I just couldn't believe it. I I mean, I wanted this to happen since I was a little girl. And it's it's wild that it happened this early because I really thought I would be a lot, you know, older and, and more, I guess, accomplished or seasoned or, you know, well known. But I think that's one of the things that I love about Epiphone too, is they're just, they're excited to support new and emerging talent. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of brands do that, but yeah, I mean, it was crazy. It's a crazy feeling. Um, I still don't really, I still have to like say it out loud to people so that I believe it, that it, right. it's like real, you know? Um, so yeah, it's nuts. It's crazy.
Was the guitar based on a Sheridan that you owned before? Yeah, it was. Do you want to see it? I would like to. I, I, I could speak for the entire audience and say yes. <laughs> so I took this thing out for like nine years on tour and uh, I took the pick guard off. But it, I mean, I don't know if you can see how beat up it is, but it is just like. Yeah, I mean, it's based on this one. And I loved it because, I mean, I'm such a big fan of B.B. King. I know you are, too. And yeah. I mean, I got it because it looked like Lucille. And I don't know, whenever I watch videos of B.B., it just seems like he's protected by this massive thing because right. he's in such a vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. So in this, you know, parallel universe of like freedom and then he's protected also by this like shield you know yeah. i think that's what drew me to that guitar and um yeah i mean i don't know that thing is it's just so special to me i started you know my first gigs were on that thing so right. i i kind of don't want to take it anywhere anymore and i just want to you know let it let it rest because i've thrown that thing around stages you know all over the country and it's pretty beat up but yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a great thing because you, you make a connection to a guitar and I have a few that are like that, but are not what you would think, you know, being this crazy guitar collector. It's the one, it's my first strat that my father snuck into the house and didn't tell my parent, my mom about. <laughs> and, you know, I still have that and I still have a, a, uh, 1980s Japanese reissue Fender Telecaster. Wow. And I that was when I did my first gig on. And I still have all this stuff. And those are the ones that I, I would never take on on the road. The 59 Les Paul, don't care. Put it in the yeah. case, let's go. You know? Yeah. But, you know, that's that's the that's the thing. You, 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 you gain this, you, you, you have this connection with these instruments because it represents your life's work to get to this very moment. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like a tr it becomes like a trophy almost like, hey, you made it here. All right. You know, let's switch to the next guitar and see what happens now. And then, you know, I'm curious what I'll be playing when I'm 60 or 70. Um, I don't I mean, I have so many black 335s that I'll probably still <laughs> right. stick with this. Like, it's just like what I'm obsessed with. So, um, yeah, it's it. I mean, it's such a special thing. I don't you can't really it's hard for me to put into words the connection with the guitar. Um, it's funny because I, I recently just played a gig and it was so, I was so overwhelmed with, you know, what was going on around me. And uh, my wife, Brittany was like, are you okay? Like, do you want to cancel? And I was like, no, I need to play this so I can get out of here. <laughs> like right. I need to get on stage and play because that's the only th way that I'm going to escape, you know, this craziness around me. So um, it's wild. It's like, um, I don't even know. It's like its own kind of like teleportation device for me. I just get to go somewhere else and it's great. Do you find that being on stage is like being in the eye of the hurricane? Like yes. you have all this craziness around you. And yes. I always tell people, and they don't believe me. I said, there are some days on the road when you have so many uh, 
obligations or responsibilities other than the actual show so many people around it's like it just starts it just be it, it the the voices start they, they they start sounding like the peanuts wah, wah, right. wah, wah. i'm like yeah. i don't know i can't process yeah. this yeah. <laughs> and and then when you get on stage it's like being in the eye of the hurricane because it is chaotic and loud and all the lights are on it's the most peaceful time of the day nobody yeah. can ask me a question nobody could request a favor i don't have a guest list problem i don't right. have any problems other than other than doing a singular job for whoever comes out to see me do you, do you find that 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 being in front of that microphone and having that guitar going whatever's happening out there that's on them this yep. is my this is my world now that's exactly how it feels and i hadn't i hadn't thought of it as the eye of the storm like that before but it's totally true like it's because you know nobody else's feelings really matter like yeah. like they're not my responsibility because i'm just there in the moment and that's what right. they want to see so it's like oh well great everything's great i just get to do this and that's what you want to see that's what you paid to see so it's i mean it's it's the best place in the world cuz it kind of isn't in the world if that makes any sense yeah um, but yeah and there's this peace and tranquility up there in a very not peaceful place yeah so weird i used to before i have a new name now but um because we had a few people show up at the hotels trying to try to get in the room lovely um so i used to check into my under my own name because being a def level celebrity nobody knows who i am so my my original my original fake name was joe kenya spelled c-a-n-y-a cool because on many days, that's that is the only thing I hear. Joe, can you? Joe, can you? Can you? Can you? I'm like, we've since changed that, but it is it is it, you know as a solo artist, it, it is very very. People don't realize how it's all on you. Yeah, your ability to sing, your ability to play your your you know your show it's all on you it's not like a band where there's five people with different you know and it lessens the lessens the responsibility i mean how do you deal with it on a day-to-day basis you know knowing that people come to see emily wolf not 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 the a band right that's an interesting question because it's been it's been kind of a weird thing for me i've had to grow into my comfort with yeah this is me you know come see me play you know not come see us play or, or you know it's right. and i had a band um back in like 2014 and it was really hard for me to get i i think it was my maturity level at that point but it was really hard to for me to get to the point where i was okay with saying it's I'm a solo artist, you know, th- this is the band. It's me. Right. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm a woman and I had to, you know, I felt some kind of guilt that it wasn't all inclusive or something, but I've had to grow into feeling the confidence of, you know, I'm a solo artist, you know, this is my band. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have found two guys that are, so professional and so okay with being 
the bass player being the drummer, you know, right. um, they don't overstep ever. And it's just, it's fun. We're all, we're like, we're really good friends. And um, I think a lot of it comes from the people that I surround myself with just because like they know, okay, Emily has a tendency to downplay herself. So yeah. let's kind of force her into be, you know, the like, just let her do her thing because she'll do right. it if, you know. So I think, you know, it has to do with my band and my wife and my management team is just really um, supportive of that. And, but yeah, it is, it is all on, on the solo artist. You know, if I, if I'm not there, there's no show. So right. <laughs> I have to remind myself of that a lot. Um, you know, if I ever feel like stage fright or something, it's like, this is what you wanted. This is your show. You got to go do it, you know? And, um, and the band yeah. guys are out, they're hanging out at the music store or going to whatever, doing whatever on the days off. And you got the, you got the list of interviews and the yep. stuff you got to get to. And you're like, Oh, I wish I can really go have fun, yeah. but I gotta be, you know, and, yeah. and the analogy I always use as being a solo artist, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary is credited with being the first person to, to successfully get to the summit of Mount Everest. He didn't wow. do it by himself. He had other people. It wasn't the Sir Edmund Hillary band. Okay. Right. So history is, you know, it, it but you know, it does take a village, but yeah. it does take the protagonist and someone to go, listen, this is the vision and we're going to, we're going to execute it because it is my thing. You know, right. it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a much different mindset than if you're in a, in a, in a group. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I always ask myself that too. I'm like, could I just be a guitar player in a band? And I don't think I could because like I would just want to be, I, I love being the front of a power trio because playing solos is like the most fun thing in the world. Right. Like, right. Yeah. and it's like, I want to do that. So it, like if I was in a band, like a, you know, if I was just a guitar player in a band, I wouldn't be able to go off the rails ever. I would have to stay in a structured kind of, you know, this is the guitar part. And it wouldn't be as fun. Like, of course, it would be great, but I wouldn't feel as free. And yeah. that's part of the reason I love playing music is the freedom and like the peace in that eye of the hurricane. And and uh, so, yeah. It definitely does take a village, but there it's interesting finding that like fine line. Um, yeah. And it's it's important to find those people that understand the vision of like, oh, this, she's a solo act. I'm a supporting member of this, you know, because, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, you know, uh, we rehearse a lot in Nashville and sometimes we'll rehearse next to pretty, pretty top line, you know, country acts like, right. you know, big stars. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, the 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 band guys from these country acts will come poking around, know we're there because they hear it's like the whole room shakes, <laughs> and they'll they'll come in there and they'll be like, like Joe, they they let you play this loud, and I go, I go, I go, I go, come here, let me show you something. <laughs> I go, you see all those road cases, and it's got the little golden pick JB on there. I go, there's no they. There's me. <laughs> yeah. I let I can play that loud because because they don't even let us use an amp. I go, that's your problem. I go, right? Yeah. Start a band, start a solo act. You can do anything you want. 
Um, one of the things I want to get to um, is your new album, Outlier. Great record. I've been hey. listening to your stuff all morning. And, um, you know, I really like your take on the guitar. You know, it's you, you really achieve because again you can hand me your whole rig and i'll find a way to make it sound derivative like eric johnson and eric clapton okay i'll figure it out you know <laughs> and and vice versa i can hand you my rig and you'll make it sound like emily wolf so i love the fact that you you create sounds that are different that that because like you know all morning i'm listening to this i'm like on Wow, that's a really unique sound. I can tell it's the front pickup of something, but then it's just kind of what you play. It's a very, very cool thing that you have. And and in in a in a world where a lot of guitar players sound the same, you stick out as someone like I can identify this like almost that's immediately. Awesome. And and you know how do you go about building these sounds? Is it do you do you consciously go okay i'll i got a riff because you write great riffs and then let me fuck it up a little bit by putting an octaver or some some sort of you know thing that would kind of makes it sound different how do you how do you start that process man well first of all that's so exciting that you uh think my sound is identifiable that's a huge compliment coming from you um so thanks but you know, I think I just, I love pedals. I mean, I just think it's so interesting that you can plug a guitar in, go out of the pedal and plug it into your amp and it sounds like something, you know, you can get anything from a distortion to like, you know, a key sound. I just love that. I love that experimentation. Um, I have a pretty set rig when it comes to live stuff. But in the studio, I just love to, you know, mess around with anything. And um, I I remember when I was first really getting into pedals and stuff, I I was watching all these videos of like Stevie Ray Vaughan and, you know, Hendrix and BB and all, you know, Albert King and you and trying to figure out, man, all these all these dudes like have a sound like how do I get my sound? And so I went down this rabbit hole, you know, going to all these different music shops and just, you know, buying a pedal and trying it. You know, that's not it. I'd sell it on reverb. Right. Buying a different one, you know, and it went on for like a year. And I, I mean, I lost a lot of money, but <laughs> I found my sound. <laughs> and like, I remember I plugged in an OCD and I, I tried it with a Sheridan at a guitar center and just. I was like, that's the sound. Like, oh my God, if I can EQ this, then that'll be it for me. Yeah. And then I was so, I, I had that and like a fuzz pedal that I really liked, the full tone uh, Octafuzz. And I mean, I would just mess around, turn knobs and stuff and try and get the coolest sound I could. And there was one moment, um, where I put the Octafuzz in front of the OCD and I had an EQ and I turned down the fuzz all the way on the Octafuzz and hit the octave up and put the volume up. So basically the only thing that was on on the Octafuzz was, was the octa part. Right. And went on the neck pickup, hit all three of those pedals on and it was like, 
magic happened. I was like, that right. is the sound. Cause it's like, I mean, when you get on the neck pickup and you're pretty far up there, it can get kind of muffled. Yeah. And so having an octave in front of it, I mean the high end, like it just brings out the high end and it adds this crazy, like interesting harmonic thing. Um, so that was where I really kind of identified like, this is what I want to sound like. Um, and so from then on, I kind of started to look at different octave pedals, look at different drive pedals. And, and you know, the, the basic blueprint was octave pedal, drive pedal that doesn't compress my amp, EQ pedal. And so that was like the sound for me. Yeah. Um, but I've kind of circled around that, you know, looking for different things. And um, but that's the main sound. And part of part of the this record, too. Um, it's different from my first one because my first one was really based on like, let's riff it up and let's, you know, whatever. Yeah. But this one is I, I wanted to make everything really concise and only play like make the guitar almost like an orchestral thing where this is, you know, this is where it needs to be. Let's make it a hook in itself. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I worked a, a really hard on the tones and um, the MXRQ zone is really cool that I started putting that in front of a drive pedal and it's, it's really like Queens of the Stone Age. And um, so that's one of my new favorite pedals. But yeah, I think it just came down to trying stuff. And yeah. How do you keep track of it all? There's so much out there. That's, I don't like, know. Oh, let, me, let, me, let me show you what modern technology looks, looks okay. like in Girdville. <laughs> this is modern technology. That's this, what I'm talking about. Is that a this, Dallas one? This is Dallas a 19, Arbiter. It's a it's a Dallas Arbiter. It would be the same one that Hendrix used at uh, Banded Gypsy. So he so cool. And and this is modern technology here. Okay. I, I mean, I I, <laughs> yeah. I I I I have you know I have cages of carrier pigeons to send text messages. <laughs> yeah, we wrong. Yeah, but. You know, it's it's so there's so many things, you know, I've gotten to the point where where fortunately and unfortunately, it doesn't matter what I plug into. I man whatever whatever's gonna come out of it, it sounds kinda like me. And I'm like yeah. and it's frustrating because I can't seem to move the needle in the sense of like there's not a box or anything that'd be like, Oh yeah, I, I guess so and 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 it it doesn't it I go, I just, and then you end up getting frustrated. And you just plug in the amp and go, it, it is what it is. It's my lot yeah. in life. The reverb yeah. will go out in the twin, you know, oh, we're not, we don't have that, you know, <laughs> the, you know, the, the battery will die on something. I don't have, I just plug it in, you know, yeah. make it work. But it's, it's, it's interesting that you're able to create all these things and, and keep track of, of the latest, but you, you also know what you want to hear and you feel it under the strings. You're like, ah, okay, that's going to work for me. Yeah. And, and you, you know, almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny because, you know, in my pedal buying spree, I would buy a pedal, come home and plug it in, you know, play something. And a lot of times it'd be like, that's not the one. <laughs> like, Cool. Now I got to go return it, you know? Um, right it's yeah more often than not i i play pedals and i don't find what i want so yeah. when i do it's like this magic moment you know yeah um so, yeah it's like eureka we found it you know? <laughs> yeah 
I, I remember I used my first communion money, um, which I didn't realize being a, I'm half Italian. But, but, but when, when I had my first communion, I didn't, I, I didn't know the protocol. I was the firstborn grandson, nephew, everything. My, my mother had four sisters, has four sisters, Every, you know, my, my mom's side, my dad's side. I didn't realize the amount of cash that that little ceremony generates. So I had like oh, yeah. 200 bucks and I went <laughs> and I bought, I, I bought $59 brand new. I bought a crybaby. Wow. And I was like, this is cool. I could sound like voodoo child. You yeah. Know? And I was like, yeah, that's, and then I really haven't evolved much since then. So, <laughs> oh man, that's not true. So, um, one of the things, um, I want to, I want to ask you about, um, is recording at Muscle Shoals. How was that? It was awesome. Yeah. There's such a vibe there. You did your, one... not this, not this record, but the record before this. Right. Muscle, yeah. Yeah. And, do you think it influenced the sound or is it just like it, it you know, because the studio is a studio is a studio and we don't have bionic vision, so we can't see outside and, and yeah, OK, Aretha recorded here, but uh, that's that was, you know, yeah. that's her and whatever. Do, do, do you think it kind of some of the DNA of that studio made it into the music? I, I do, because <clears throat> the producer is from there. Um, I feel like so Ben Tanner, he he was in the Alabama Shakes. Um, I don't I don't know if they're still doing anything, but um at that time they were like, you know, blowing up massive, playing arenas yeah. everywhere. And um yeah, he's got just such a soulful vibe about him, I think because he's from there. And um, so that helped. I think it is interesting though, like there wasn't really like, you know, oh, this board was used in, um, you know, Aretha's, you know, albums. It, there wasn't that sound. But I think the collective energy um, that was like kind of spearheaded by Ben, I think that pushed it into a sound of like soul. But like, you know, I also wanted to add some of my straight ahead rock influences um so i don't think it was the studio but it was like i mean when you walk out of the studio there's this like huge kind of river and it's beautiful and it's i mean it's it's great it's super peaceful yeah did you do it at fame or was it uh was it the other one the muscles yeah it was the other one we did go to fame though we checked it out it's i mean it's so cool I remember we, we did a record at Abbey Road. This was our one before this one. And, um, you know, I'd worked there a few times before as, as a guest. I was on John Lord's symphonic record, which was crazy. Having Bruce Dickinson and John Lord in an orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> and me. I'm like, who doesn't belong here? This guy. <laughs> anyway. Um, and I'd worked there before. And, but this was the first time I we booked a whole month there or two, three weeks. And, and I was writing there. And this very young engineer who was very excited and he goes come on have you ever had the tour i'm like no i've never done the tour i right, got a minute and so they he would go through room you know room three studio you know studio three which is dark side of the moon you know obviously studio b is the is is uh or studio two whatever they call it um uh is you know abbey road it's the famous one you know you see in all the pictures of the beatles and then there's the orchestra room 
and they still have the EMI console that the Beatles used in Pink Floyd. Wow. He's like, you know, if you have, if you want to use this on your record, you know, we, they, we can hook it up and stuff like that. And, you know, like the Beatles recorded here, you know, through this console, Pink Floyd. And I just deadpanned him and I go, man, that's so freaking cool. I go, you know, the one thing that that console won't do for me? He goes, what? I go, write the fucking songs. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I'm like, it's just it's it's just knobs that's what they had yeah. you know what I, I mean yeah they're gonna write the songs i go i go i'm here to write, you know but it does it does being in the studio it does it does give you that that okay because i listen to the abbey road i go i go it's definitely recorded in england it just has brit stuff right in, in the dna same thing yeah. you know with muscle shoals and everything um what's um to to finish up you have a tour coming up that, yeah. I, that I, I, I bullish that we're going to get through. We're going to get through the fall, you know? We've got to do it. It's got to happen. <laughs> and um, do you have plans of making a new record? Oh, yeah. I think uh, I think I'll probably start writing it here in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, it's about time. So. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's it's there's no right or wrong these days. You know? Yeah. So you can put out two records a year. You can put out one every five years. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. Um, but you know, I th I think I think you're uh, a real superstar, and Thanks. and and I I think um, you're you are poised to be a household name. Wow! And I can say and I can say one of these days when I'm old and retired. Oh, I guess I'm old and retired now, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, that 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 you heard it here first, or one of the you know. It, it, I just think um, you know. Obviously, I've known your name from Gibson being a Gibson endorser as I sit next to two yeah. gigantic stacks of fender equipment hey you got the uh, shirt on though you got the sweatshirt I, on. i'm representing yeah. you know i know i know they they, they they look i'm like wait a minute you can me the door. um anyway but uh no i think thank you for being here and um you know i really dig your music i think it's a really wonderful take um i hate to use the term blues rock because it's not it really isn't it's it's your own thing you I know agree. But, but, it, but it has blues influences had rock influences and pop you know yeah and no i think you you know you're really poised to be a superstar and and i can't thank you enough for being here god that means the world to me that like made my entire year joe well, bonamassa said that that's crazy you can use thank it as you. a quote if you'd like we'll send you the tape <laughs> okay yeah you'll, you'll never experience dislikes on youtube until you <laughs> post that quote you'll never see more <laughs> thumbs down and then oh my god Ladies no, that's awesome. Emily Wolf, this has been live from Nerdville. Thank you very much for watching. Until next time.